Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. Matthew's Gospel, the 17th chapter, verses 1 and 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. It is a beautiful winter morning, isn't it? The sun is beginning to shine. And I do wonder sometimes when Sunday morning comes and the temperatures are below zero, whether God doesn't try you and me and our faith to see whether we really want to come to his house and worship him. But I hope that we thank God for the day and that we have been able to be here and to worship him this morning. Today in the Christian church is the last Sunday after Epiphany. And in the Lutheran church especially, the last Sunday after Epiphany is celebrated as Transfiguration Sunday. And we shall do that today. And also to observe, as all of us know, the 28th anniversary of the broadcasting of the gospel from this church. And the text that I just read is very appropriate for these two observances. The text tells the story of the transfiguration. You may say, what do you mean? What was this thing all about? Well, the time was about the summer before the following April when Jesus was put to death. He took the three inner circle disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, as you remember. We are told that he went up on a high mountain to be with them alone. The Word of God does not tell us the name of the mountain, but tradition says it was Mount Tabor, so we shall assume that today, that Jesus took the three up on Mount Tabor. We shall also assume that it occurred at night, even though the Word of God doesn't tell us the time of the day. But there at Mount Tabor, one night, Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and went up on Mount Tabor. We are told that while he was praying, and then the disciples looked at him, he was transformed, he was changed. A great metamorphosis took place. As the three men looked at him, his face began to shine as the brightness of the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And as they stood there, they were seeing something that they had never in their lives seen before with Jesus. Then we are told that there appeared unto him Moses, who had lived 1,500 years before Jesus came into the world. And Elijah appeared up there on Tabor also. And Elijah had lived 900 years before Jesus came into the world. And when Peter saw this event, he looked up and he saw the face of Jesus shining like the brightness of the sun and his raiment as the white of the light. And Moses and Elijah cries out and says, Lord, it's good to be here. And let me make three shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for life. In other words, oh Lord, let's keep this. Don't ever let this scene pass and let's keep it like this forever. He was so thrilled. And then we are told that while he was still talking, a white cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. It was the voice of God the Father that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And then the three were so terrified 
Peter, James, and John fell on their faces to the ground, and they couldn't dare to look up anymore. And as they lay there in silence, we're told that then Jesus came over, and he touched each one of them, and when they looked up, the scene was gone, and they saw no one except Jesus. And then as they came down from Mount Tabor that night, Jesus told them, he said, Now don't tell anybody what you saw until, he said, the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And you and I today on Transfiguration Sunday, we may say to ourselves, what did it all mean? What was this that Peter cried out, Oh Lord, it's good to be here, and let's keep this. Don't ever let it pass. You may say, what really took place? You may say, what was this transfiguration? Well, listen, in simple language, what happened? The three men saw something. They had been with Jesus over two years. They saw something that they had never seen before. They saw his glory oozing out of his body. They had never seen that before. The glory of Jesus as God the Son was coming out of his face and out of his body through his clothes. They looked at him and he looked for the first time what he really was. They saw his halo for the first time in their life. They had never seen that before. He had never glistened before. He had never looked like the Son of God, like God himself, like deity. He had never looked like the Savior. But there on Tabor that night, they saw his glory. They saw it visibly. They saw him who was no less than God looking like God. They had never seen that before. And on Transfiguration Sunday today, it is as it were that Peter, James, and John, they call to you and me through the word of God, and they say, Oh, be thankful to Christ and praise him and be grateful for Mount Tabor. Thank him and don't forget to thank him and rejoice that there was a scene at Mount Tabor that there you saw his halo. There he was what he was, and he looked like it. He who was no less than the Son of God, he looked the part. Divinity came out, and you could see it. The only time that the disciples had ever seen it, they saw his glory. It was oozing out of his body. And he, they would call upon you and me to thank Christ from Mount Tabor. We may say, why? We may say, what's so wonderful about the fact that one night on Mount Tabor, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and again, his halo showed that he looked what he was. What, what's so wonderful? We may say to ourselves, after all, don't we have all the evidence that we need? Don't we have all the proof that he uh, thought was necessary, that you and I can rest assured that he was no less than God, God the Son. He was no less than the beloved Son of God. He was no less than the Savior. And we say, uh, we have all the evidence that we need, don't we? Did he leave us without evidence and proof and guarantee that he was no less than God the Savior? Uh, did we really need Mount Tabor? And I think you and I would have to say, uh, we didn't really need Mount Tabor. We didn't really have to have him take three witnesses and go up there and to show his halo, to go up there and to look as he really was. We'll have to say we had all the evidence, but Peter, James, and John would remind you and me this morning that Christ thought of everything. He knew that there would be a disappointment in your life and mine if he hadn't showed his halo, if he hadn't looked the part of God, at least at one time. And so we can say this, that when Peter, James, and John call on you and me this morning to thank Christ for the fact of Mount Tabor, that there he looked what he was, 
There his halo showed and his glory was visible. It oozed out of his body. They would remind you and me that Christ, in thinking about everything, he has given us that little additional evidence, that little special evidence, that baker's dozen evidence. We who remember the baker's dozen know there was always an extra donut, the 13th one, something extra. And therefore, the disciples would remind you and me that Christ thought of everything for you and me and for our assurance that here is the baker's dozen evidence and guarantee that he was no less than God. He was God's son. He was the Savior because up there on Mount Tabor, his halo showed that night. The only time in his ministry that it did. You and I may say, uh, is this the baker's dozen assurance? Is this something special really? And ought we to be so grateful for it? And the three, Peter, James, and John, those who were in the inner circle, they remind you and me that there's every reason to thank Christ for this because this baker's dozen evidence, this Mount Tabor, the fact that there he looked what he was, that you could see his halo, it assures us beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was no less than God, God's son. He was no less than deity, the Savior even though he came into the world as a lowly human being. We, we may say this morning, don't we have all the evidence that we need that even though he was a human being, that nevertheless he was God's son? And I'm sure we do. He has left us not without evidence. You and I turn to the word of God and we say to ourselves, we know that he was a man, but doesn't the word of God tell us that God the Son was going to come into this world and he was going to take unto himself our human nature, become a human being? And yet he did. And doesn't it tell us that when he, the divine Son of God, became a human being, he shared with his human nature his divine attributes, that as a human being he was all-powerful, and as a human being he shared in that divine wisdom that was his as the Son of God? And you and I may say to ourselves, didn't he show his deity even though he was a lonely man in his miracles when he turned water into wine, when he stilled the tempest, when he healed the lepers, when he raised the dead? Uh, isn't that conclusive proof that even though he was a human being, that even though again you and I didn't see his halo, that nevertheless wasn't he the divine son of God? Uh, didn't his miracles prove that? And we'd have to say we have all the evidence in these miracles that he was the divine son of God. But he knew this, that if he had never showed his halo, if he had never looked the part of being God, you and I would say, wonder why he didn't. We'd say, I wish that at one time in his ministry of that he would have showed his halo. He would have showed his godness. I, I wish that at one time uh, that glory that was his, and I know that he had it, that it might have oozed out, and he knew it. And that's why he went up on Mount Tabor that night. This is that baker's dozen evidence. With all the evidence that we have, he said, I know you'd be disappointed. And so I wanted to take witnesses, and I wanted him to let him see my halo. And therefore, again, this is that extra, that special, that additional baker's dozen evidence to assure you and me that he was no less than God himself, even though, again, he was a human being, and gives us the assurance that being God the Savior, that he, oh, he must have loved us tremendously to have left his glory in heaven to come down here on earth. Oh, we say, what tremendous joy we have in Mount Tabor. Look at him. Look up there and you say, well, there his glory was oozing out of his body. There again his halo was showing. He looked like God. 
And the fact that he was God and that he left his glory in heaven and came down here on earth for 33 years, his love for you and me must be tremendous. He must have really wanted to save you and me. He must have wanted to bring life and salvation. And so this is that extra assurance. And today, as we are also taking note of the 28th anniversary of the broadcasting from this congregation, we ought to thank Christ for Mount Tabor. And then we ought to be sure and thank him for the privilege that has come to this church, to all of us, of preaching the word of God over the radio. I go back this morning to 1943, when again the radio started and somehow or other God laid it on my heart back in those days that uh, there ought to be something done in the community of Marion that people outside of the confines of the church may hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that it might come out of the church, not be a tape recording, not a studio program, but that again it might be a broadcast of a congregation that worship. And I well recall going up to see Bob Mason radio station. Marion was only three years old at the time, and it started in 1940. We talked it over, and I assured him that if the privilege could be ours, there would be one thing. We would never milk a radio audience for any money. There would never be any innuendos that we, again, would expect them to support it, that we would want to show individuals we had something we wanted to share. And it wasn't their pocketbooks that we were after, but it was their immortal souls. And I recall that all we needed was money in those days, and I've been talking about a baker's dozen. It so happened that Raymond Roker, uh, who started us out, he happened to be a baker, yes. But again, he was a man with a conviction. He was a man that believed that Jesus was the Son of God and his Savior. When he realized and we talked it over and we needed $500, I shall never forget it. He started us on the way. He came to my back door one morning and said, Here, here's the $500. Let's get started. That gave us 13 Sundays. Bob Mason said, you'll find out in a couple of weeks whether, again, people are interested. And it's gone on 28 years. Oh, again, today is the 1,461st consecutive broadcast as it goes out at the next service. And I recall we built the educational building when we had broken the telephone line going up to Dumbarton Inn. And just about 10 minutes before broadcast, we realized the line was out. One of our members went out, and we couldn't get it spliced, and so we held the end of the one wire in one hand the other. And that's the way we went up to the radio station that day. I'm sure he was filled with the Holy Spirit that morning because the whole service went through him. And, but again, we stayed on the air. And I thank God for the privilege of 28 years that we have had this joy as a congregation to share with those beyond the confines this, that Jesus Christ is no less than God, and that all of us, because of his love, we are all equally precious in his sight. If there's ever a message that the world has ever needed, it's this, that every man is precious in Jesus' sight, regardless of the color of his skin, regardless of any condition in his life, regardless of his sins and shortcomings. We are all alike precious in his sight. This has been a privilege, and we thank God for it, Oh, again, because we have a Christ who, who gave us that added, that baker's dozen assurance that up there on Mount Tabor that night, he allowed his glory to be visible. It oozed through his body. He let Peter, James, and John, as three witnesses, see, uh, see his halo. He let, again, them see and that he could look what he was, that he was no less than God. 
and he looked just like that. We thank him today as Peter, James, and John call upon us to thank him from Mount Tabor to thank him for the transfiguration. It's that extra assurance. It's that baker's dozen proof and guarantee that he was no less than God because it assures us he was no less than God the Savior uh, even though his own people rejected him as Savior and millions reject him today. Well, Mimi say this morning, we say, uh, didn't he give us adequate proof that he was the Savior, the one who was to come, that he was God's Son to redeem the world, uh, even though, again, his own people rejected him? Uh, don't we have conclusive proof apart from Mount Tabor? And I am sure that we do. Even when we look up at Mount Tabor, there we have Moses and Elijah. Moses, the great prophet, the great lawgiver of the Old Testament. Elijah, one of the great fearless prophets of the Old Testament. They were there. God gave them life and allowed them to appear on Mount Tabor. That they were a confirmation that Jesus certainly was the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies. And the very fact that God the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You and I have that assurance. And as we look in the Word of God, we say, Well, he beyond doubt, he was the seed of the woman from Eve. He was from, the, again, the people of Shem, as Noah had blessed his son. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. He was from the family of Abraham and from Abraham's nation. He was from the tribe of Judah, as it had been predicted of him and prophesied. He was born of a virgin, as Isaiah had said. He was from the family of David, as Isaiah said. He would build his kingdom on the kingdom of his father, David. He was born in Bethlehem, as Micah had said. You and I say, well, we have all the proof in the world. Isaiah says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows that he would be our great substitute. He would be no less than God, the almighty God himself, the king of kings. And we say, there, there's all the ample evidence that he was no less than God. He was the Savior. And yet we say, uh, even though his own people rejected him, and many rejected him as Christ today, we say to ourselves, uh, don't we have ample testimony? Sure. But Jesus knew that we'd be a bit disappointed, but we say, well, how's come that he never looked? like God the Savior. How does it come that he never... Well, you know, Isaiah says, who shall believe our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Isaiah wrote 700 years before he's come and he said, he hath no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah said he's going to look like any other man. There will be no beauty or comeliness or that will simply in any way distinguish him from any other person. He's going to look just like anybody else. And you and I may say, well, if he was God, why didn't he just at one time look like it? And he did. He did. He went up on Mount Tabor that night. And there he allowed three witnesses to see him. To see him in all his glory when his face shone as the sun. And his whole body just simply radiated as the light of the day. Just again, here it was. His halo showed. He looked what he was. So that you and I could say, well, there was one time when he really looked like that, assuring us beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was no less than God the Savior. And that above all, assuring us, giving us that baker's dozen evidence and that guarantee that he was big enough to be the Savior of the world. He was God. 
And I said, did anybody ever see his glory? Yes, Peter, James, and John saw it. No wonder Peter said, oh, Lord, it's good to be here. Uh, let me build three shrines. Oh, don't take it away. He just stood there like some of us do with Christmas. Oh, don't let it pass. Just let it be here. Uh, don't let it go, the vision. But, of course, it lands. He was thrilled to pieces in his spiritual life. He saw the glory of Jesus Christ. And today, as we celebrate the 28th anniversary of radio, we ought to thank Christ, and we certainly do, for, again, the fact of Mount Tabor, that he allowed his halo to be seen, and for the privilege that we as a congregation have had for 28 years to, again, to go beyond the confines of this church and to spread this good news and this tremendously important news that Jesus was no less than God. He was God's Son. He was the Savior, and to spat it as the most important thing in all the world. I know people may say, why in the world did your church want to broadcast? Uh, was it simply this, that it would give you uh, a sense of being, that it would give you status in the community, that it would just make you feel that you're a little bit better than others, and God forbid that it should be a symbol of status. If that's what it is, it ought to stop. Then we ought to say to ourselves, why? What have you got to sell? And may I say, I like to use that word in its best sense. I'm a salesman. I'm a salesman. Maybe you are too. What have I got to sell? What does the church have to sell? I insist and believe the church has to sell the greatest product and the most important product in all the world. Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Savior that it's the greatest piece of good news. There isn't anything great. I don't care what you sell. My product is far greater because it has eternal reactions and repercussions and results. You may say, what is good news? Well, if we had flashed over the air at the present time that the Vietnam uh, War had come to an end, that it was all over in Vietnam, you and I would say, oh, what tremendous good news. I recall back in World War II, you recall we were waiting for the end of World War II and we heard that they had capitulated in Europe and we were waiting for it again over in Japan that it would come and we had decided that if it comes uh, before 6 o'clock we'll all come to church that night and if it comes at 6 or thereafter we'll come the following night and you recall that the news came about 6 and I remember coming over here and opening up the church and people came in and I came in and I saw people in this church I'd never seen before down on their knees thanking God. And the next day they filed in here and that next night we filled this church. We said, oh God, thanks. And I recall preaching that night, talking about cold water to a thirsty soul just as it is. Oh, what about good news from a far country? We came in and we said, oh, thank God for good news. If somebody came in here with a cure for cancer, you'd say, well, we'd run up and down one street after another, run into the hospital and say, here's the cure for cancer, good news. But again, as a minister of Jesus Christ, I've got news that is even greater than that. It's the news, what, that in Jesus Christ, when a man faces death, when he has him, he has eternal life. This is news that has to do with a man's eternal destiny. Reminds me of the father that said to his son, son, what are you going to do someday? 
Well, he said, I'm going to finish high school. And the father says, and then? Well, he said, then I'm going to college and I'm going to graduate. The father said, and then? He said, then I'm going to law school and I'm going to graduate. And the father said, and then? Well, he says, then I expect to get married and then I'll raise a family. And the father said, and then? Well, he said, in my law practice, I hope to be successful. And he says, and then? Well, he said, then I may go into politics and I would like to aspire to be governor of this state. And the father said, and then? Well, he said, maybe I could go on and become a senator to represent this state. And the father said, and then? And then the little young lad said, well, I suppose then to die. And then the father said, and then? This is it. And to stand up here for 28 years every Sunday and 33 as pastor of this church, to try to make it ring as good news, may I tell you the greatest discipline and the greatest humbling thing of a man's life. Sometimes you feel sorry for me for some things, but I don't suppose you know what it means to get up at 3 in the morning or 3.15 because in your dream you had an idea, you run into the study and you write it down, but you don't forget it. To stand up here and to preach it like good news, to preach it as, to sell it, I don't know of anything more taxing than to sell Jesus Christ and to make a man see this is the greatest message in all the world. I am grateful, humbly, for it that this congregation has had that privilege. We can share it again. Here's a Christ that will never disillusion you and me and never let us down. It's the greatest, biggest piece of good news in all the world. Why? Because, again, he gives us that baker's dozen assurance that he was no less than God. He was the Savior. He went up on Mount Tabor one night. And don't forget its importance. Oh, we could have gotten along without it. But up there, the only time in his life when he was here on earth that he ever allowed his halo to show. You don't see it any other time. Here's where glory used out. Here is where he looked like he really was God because he was God. He looked what he was. That's what it meant. And because he did, it's that extra baker's dozen that beyond the shadow of a doubt, he is the Christ. He is the Savior even though he allowed men to kill him, to put him in a grave. We may say, do we have enough evidence when we look at him to believe that he was no less than God when he, he why he allowed men to crucify him? And poor, limpless body, they put him in a grave. Well, thank God when you look up on Tabor, when Moses and Elijah talked to him, we were told they talked to him about his death. They talk to him about the great plan of God. And you and I say, I know he died. And you see him on the Via Dolorosa going to the cross and he fell beneath the cross. People say, you mean to say you believe he was God, the Savior? You and I say, yes. Why? Because Isaiah said he was doing it for us. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried ours. And when they nailed him to the cross, he didn't stop them. And when he died, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You and I say, evidence that he was God. Then they took his lifeless body and they put it in a tomb. They buried him. Evidence he was no less than God. You and I, Jesus, you know, up there on the mount when he came down, he said, don't tell anybody what you've seen until after the Son of Man has risen from the dead. You and I say we've got all the evidence we need that he was no less than God. Why? Sure, he died, but he died for us. He bore our guilt and our punishment. They put him in the grave that he could hallow the grave and take the fear of it away from you and me. But he arose from the dead. You and I say because he arose. But do you know that when he arose from the dead... 
You couldn't see his halo. There isn't any word in Scripture that when he appeared to Mary Magdalene and to the rest of them that there was a halo, that the brightness of the sun was shining from his face. He looked just like another human being. When on the 40th day with the 11, he walked up the slopes of the Mount of Olives and went back to heaven, I'm sure that other people passed him on the way. They never looked twice. He looked just like anybody else. We've got all the evidence in the resurrection that you and I need, but you know he knew we'd be disappointed. He knew that we'd say, but oh Lord, why didn't you just let us see it? And he says, I took three men up. I took my inner circle up on Mount Tabor one night, and I, I let my glory lose out. They saw it, and they never forgot it. And just as certainly as this is that added assurance that he was no less than God, even though he died and he was buried, but he did rise again. Oh, that's that added assurance that he's going to cause you and me. We're going to gleam and glisten in glory in the eternal mansion just like he it was Daniel, you know, that said that they that are wise shall shine as the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever. And you and I can say, thank God, there was a tabor. It didn't have to be, but thank God that we, oh, we saw his halo. That he looked what he looked. I'm grateful for that. And that assures you and me that because he let it ooze out, and you let witnesses see it. When the time came, they told about it. That you and I can say, well, we're going to shine in glory. What a privilege for 28 years. And I thank God for it as we round out 28 years of radio work and begin the 29th. It's been a tremendous privilege to go beyond the confines of the church and feel we've got something to say. Not just pushing wind, the greatest message in all the world. And I have the joy in preaching it to see some results. And I know people say, well, you've seen the results. Rather strange. I know Jesus talked some one time about his word like a little leaven, you know. That the yeast, it, it works silently, doesn't it? That the seed in the ground. Oh, if you could say, what have been some spectacular results of preaching the gospel? I don't know of any, but I do know he said this. God says... Uh, my word shall not return unto me void. It's going to accomplish the purpose for which it's intended. And I know this with all my heart. When it is gone out, it, oh, again, who can measure the result? If one soul has been one for Jesus Christ, Jesus says, what shall it profit a man? He shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. There's scarcely a week goes by, but what again? There comes this joy that the radio service does do something and it does help. There isn't a week that I go to the hospital but what there's usually a name down of a person I don't know will you call. And I'll go in and choose it like this. So I've listened to you for years and you have comforted me in Christ and I, I don't know what you look like. I, I wanted you to come in and pray for me. Or again, the wife that writes and says little things, you know. The wife that says, my husband wouldn't be caught dead in church. He thinks sissies go to church, but he's got a workshop downstairs. But she says, he thinks I don't know it, but she said down there every Sunday morning he's got his radio on. He never misses it, but he listens. But these are the things. But the wife that just wrote not long ago said, my husband and I were sitting at the dining table, and we have a hymnal, we sing and we pray with you. And we sat there, and just as you said amen, my husband looked at me, and suddenly his head got and he died. Just thank God that the last thing he did was to hear about our Lord. 
think these are the little things. Or the man in the hospital had said to me one day, he said, you have no idea, Reverend Hans, what it means to be lying here in the hospital and not be able to go to church and be able to listen. He began to weep, and he said, I'd give everything I've got if I thought the church would let it go to be able to lie here in the hospital and, and to hear a worship service and to hear Christians sing. Or again, the one letter that I got when a woman wrote, she said, I was so despondent, I was ready to take my life. And it was a Sunday morning. I had the radio on. I wasn't listening. And I went into the kitchen and I pulled the shades down. I let the radio go. And I felt nobody loved me. Nobody cared. And I walked over to my gas stove. And I closed the kitchen door. And I opened up the gas burners. And she said I was ready to go. And she says, I don't know, but your service, I hadn't been listening, and suddenly you came on, and you were talking about despondent people, and you were hoping and praying that everybody would know that they were precious, and that Jesus loved us too. And she said, uh, oh, something came over me, and I ran over, and I turned off the gas, and I raised the shade, and I listened, and I, I just want you to know that, thank God for the broadcast, Sunday morning, I'm alive today, and I feel there's a reason for living. These are some of the things that we can share this joy, share the joy here, here again. Here is something that makes things worthwhile. To share with others beyond the confines of the church that maybe others can stand someday before the great white throne. You know, Peter, James, and John never forgot this. You may think this was something like, can you imagine Peter when he said, Lord, it's good to be here. And don't let it stop. Did you hear the epistle lesson? Peter in the second letter in the word of God that he wrote in the first chapter, he never forgot it. He said, I was with him on the holy mount. I saw his glory. I was an eyewitness of his majesty, really. I can imagine when he was in Rome and they were ready to crucify him. That the great comfort was this. I was on Mount Tabor. I saw, I saw his glory used out. It's all right, Lord. I'm ready to be crucified upside down. There was James, and he was the first of the twelve to be put to death for his faith. Judas had killed himself. Herod had put James to death by crucifixion, we are told. I imagine the comfort that he had was I was on Mount Tabor, and I saw his glory. I saw, I saw his halo. Oh, he, he looked what he was, and soon it'll be mine. And then there was John, the beloved disciple, the only one that died a natural death, but oh, he suffered many adversities, and he was banished, you know, on Patmos. Years later, he wrote, and we beheld his glory. I saw it. We beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John said, I saw it with my own eyes. I was on tape. Everything was just right. What, what a privilege has come to us as a congregation to, to share a Christ of Mount Tabor, who in order to, he just went all out, lest we'd be disappointed, who even went up on the mountain that night and said, here, I'll, I'll let you see my glory so you won't be disappointed. I'll let you see my halo. I'll let you see the, that I'll look just what I am. Well, that, again, we may have the joy of being before the great throne with others who might not have known him and be able to sing together, O oh God, how great thou art.
how great thou art.